everyone. And to that uh, piece of shit lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast, uh, bashing us, fuck him. <laughs> I love it. I, I tell you, I could, again, I said this the last podcast and I'm going to say it again. If we just played that over and over and that was the entire podcast, I'd be fine with it. I think some of the viewers would be fine with it too. Anyway, 265 Police Live brought to you by New York's Finance Retired Unfiltered Podcast. I am former Lieutenant Eric Dim, most complaint cop, NYPD. Along with me is the co-host and founder of New York's Finance Retired Unfiltered Podcast, John McCarry, forced out to the vaccine mandate. John, how you doing, brother? Very well, my friend. Very well. Happy to be here. I'm excited to talk about this one. Uh, <laughs> but before we get into it, uh, this episode, me and Eric, uh, we got sent something from one of you guys about the Long Island audit guy going to the one-to-one. But uh, Eric, before we get into it, I just kind of want to go on the PBA election, the uh, Pat Hendry, the invite that was made to him. If you don't mind starting with that. Uh, absolutely. So... Let's advise our viewers right now. We were both lieutenants on the job. We were not part of the PBA at the end of our career. There was a time we were part of the PBA. We were cops. But right now, we're an outside force to help within. We want to help the cops. We want to be the catalyst for change. And right now, it's so dynamic to talk about and help out with the cops. We laid out a platform. Corey Grable, that's a candidate right now running for PBA president. He did an interview on our podcast he had a set of, set of questions where John and I had an opportunity to talk about things that we think are relevant and extremely imperative to the cops right now. So at this point, with Pat Lynch stepping down, Pat Hendry is the new uh, is the new candidate running for president at this point. Pat Hendry was provided with an invite via email, completely professional, respect, where he was advised he would get the same set of questions that Corey Grable did. Uh, yet, at this point, we have not heard a response at all. And uh, honestly, I'm completely disappointed. Why? Because I look at it as this. I see on Facebook and through all social media, Pat Hendry, who's part of Team Hendry, I see them trucking roll call to roll call. They go to midnight roll calls, day tour roll calls, 4 to 12 throughout the entire city to talk to cops. There, you might get a three- to five-minute window to actually talk to these cops at roll call. They hand out bottle openers and challenge coins. Nice gestures, but that, to me, doesn't define a campaign. This is a long-form podcast where Pat Hendry has the opportunity, just as Corey Grable did. Corey Grable sat with us, sat with us for about two hours. So Pat Hendry would have the same opportunity. And Pat, again, our invite still stands. If you want to come on this show, which you should – and show your opponent what is your framework, what your service to the PBM members is about, what's your plan going forward in the future. This is the opportunity. If you want three hours, we'll give it to you. This is the actually, this is working smarter, not harder. Right now, you and your team are trucking roll call to roll call. The logistics involved with that, it's costly, the time it takes, where you could just sit here for two to three hours. We'll give it, you're going you're going to get the same set of questions that Corey Grable had, so you're extremely prepared for it. And give us your framework, but yet we have not heard a response. John, what is your response to that? That we have not heard a response, not even an acknowledgement to say, hey, you know what? Thank you for the invite, but I'm not going to take you up on it. What do you have to say about that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a slap in the face to the membership that wants him on. You know, we were asking even before we had Corey Grable on if we could get Pat Lynch on when everyone thought Pat Lynch was still going to run. So, you know, we asked, we sent an invite. We haven't heard anything from Lynch, yet we under constant bombardment from the Lynch camp. Constant bombardment in every in every delegate meeting. You know, me and Eric are getting bashed, which is fine. It's it's <laughs> I like we're not we're not upset about it at all. And they're on our Instagram constantly coming in, bashing us, doing this. And literally, Pat Hendry had no campaign if not for this podcast. I mean, they should send us a check at this point for his talking points. The disciplinary metric, CCRB, the unfair discipline process, the the fact that you guys are getting bombarded disciplinary-wise. I mean, all of these things came directly from myself and Eric talking about them. The whole, the his whole campaign. So it's completely full of shit to the point that, you know, that they actually care because they've been around. The guy's been on the board for how many years, right? Where were they prior? Where was Pat Lynch talking about any of this? The diaphragm law. I know they have a lawsuit for the diaphragm law, but they were not talking about it. They were not going on social media attacking these politicians. And, you know, and again, I'm just going to back up. They gave a $50,000, a $25,000 donation to Kathy Hochul. They said they needed to do it because Democrat New York is run by Democrats. I agree. You have to have Democrats on board with you if you're going to get anything passed in New York today, if you're going to get any bills. I totally agree with that. However, they snuck it behind your back. Now they're sitting there in their photos saying, I'd rather be an American than vote Democrat. So now they're completely trying to abandon themselves and go away from the fact of what they originally told you. They snuck a donation. They should, In my opinion, if you believe she was the best option for your membership, you should have endorsed her. And you shouldn't have been worried about what was going to be said, the politics of it. So, you know, snuck it. Now, all of a sudden, they're trying to back away from that by pretending they're these right-wing MAGA guys, which honestly, I think is another... They, they look at me and Eric as that's what we are, but we're really not. You know, obviously, like I said, the majority of our followers are black and brown people and women. And they're not and they're not historically Republican voters and, and MAGA voters. We our base is is a great mix of everyone. We have a diverse fan base that are free thinkers, that are people that enjoy conversation people that oh my mother might have been a democrat i might have been a democrat but you know what i like this guy that's a republican or vice versa you know that's our real base our true base is transparency and the fact that he's not coming on here and hasn't responded it just shows he's not about transparency it's weak um i get we gave them till the end of the week today is today's day you know uh, I, I can't. Today is the nineteenth. Today I can't, is the, I can't. Today is the nineteenth. So we gave him to end of business on the twenty-first. If by end of business on the twenty-first, Pat Hendry does not respond to our email that we sent out on April twelfth, uh, oh, I we're going to rescind our offer. You're no longer invited on this podcast. If you do at that point, because you will become desperate at this point to get your message out. If you do want to come on afterwards to get your message, the the We'll still take you on, but you are no longer getting the same questions. It is going to be an open platform. I am not, and either is Eric. We're not going to give you questions ahead of time. You have the opportunity right now. You're in the driver's seat. You actually have a, a one-up on Corey Grable because he came on here first. He showed he showed his hand. Now it's time to show yours. You got till you got you got two more days. 
you don't come, you, we don't hear from you by end of the business. The office is rescinded. You, you went against your membership. You are hiding from your membership. You're not out there going to roll calls. It's antiquated. Do you have to do it? Absolutely. But save your bottle opener. People want three hours with you, not 10 minutes when they're worried about what they got to do before their tour and run out the door because they got a million assignments that day. And what's going to happen that day? That's not how that's not how that's not transparency. That's not that's not showing respect to the men and women in the New York City Police Department and your members and the, and the, and the New York City uh, Police Patrolman's Benevolent Association. It, honestly, at this point, these men believe that it's questionable. Pat Hendry has been part of the PBA unit since 2007. So not as long as Pat Lynch, but close enough. So he's been with the Pat Lynch administration for almost two, almost two decades. We're talking about a long period of time. So I think that Pat, Pat Hendry, what I'm going to assume is that the best prediction of the future is taking a look at the past. And we look at the past, Pat Hendry has been part of this administration the entire time. My argument has always been, and my argument still stands, is that the Pat Lynch administration was too singular, too focused on just contracts. Contracts are important, but it's just one mitigating factor to the overall nomenclature of being an everyday cop in New York City. So again, he knows the set of questions that he has. However, one thing that's telltale, and John, that's always a word that you use, telltale, is that through the, the entire time, he hasn't made great change. He hasn't made great strides. He has not addressed any of these issues until now, until he's heard it on this podcast where they have a new pamphlet with a list of talking points that you and I have mentioned on this podcast. So if he didn't do anything in almost two decades or made any changes as such, then if he doesn't come on and answer questions, again, the best prediction of the future is what has ha happened in the past. So I'm going to assume that his campaign and eventually if he gets elected, his service will mirror and be a complete reflection of Pat Lynch and will be back to being singular and one dimensional. So that's why Pat Hendry has to come on this podcast. Pat, you have to admit it. The cops are listening. The chiefs are listening. The commissioner in 1PP is listening to this podcast. How do we know? Social media. The cops that we speak to. Chiefs. We speak to captains on this job. We know that everyone's listening. You know it. You can't avoid it. You have to come on this this podcast. Corey Grable, he showed courage and he showed bravery. He came on this podcast and he laid out his platform. You need to come on this podcast so that the cops have an opportunity to listen to both and actually make a decision. Unlike now, where they're actually where they're going to vote on the ballot for their contract, and the the fine line print is missing, and they do not have an opportunity to actually read it. Why it's missing, I don't know. Again, this is the missing link right here. If you don't come on this podcast, they don't get to hear your key points. Again, what John said is is I agree. It's important to actually go to the precincts to show your face. But that's just a component of it. We need to hear your framework. Your bottle opener is, is a gesture, but that's not your campaign. If you want, you can send us a bottle opener this way. Uh, I'll, I'll crack a beer with it, all right? Other than that, but that, that's not your entire campaign. So that's what I have to say about that. A any other thoughts you have on that? Or you <laughs> I, I bury just this one? the full transparency of the email that we sent to Pat Hendry on April 12th at 1220 
12 20 p.m just so our, our listeners understand that we're not taking doing this unprofessionally that we have we have no hard feelings about the constant bombardment and the actual taking of our talking points to create your platform which is again i'll say it i hate to continue to say the same word but telltale that you didn't have a platform coming in we helped you build your whole platform um so i don't know who the hell you hired to run your campaign if it's pat lynch or whoever the hell it is but you know, you should have obviously you guys don't know what the hell you're doing. But here's the here's the here's the email sent. Uh Eric drafted this email. He uh he CC'd me on it. We sent it directly to Pat Hendry's campaign. Police officer Pat Hendry, on behalf of New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast, we congratulate you on a successful career and your service to the New York City Police Department and ultimately the, the city residents of the Big Apple. I have read your bio on your website, and as a parent, we share common interest and service to the men and women of the NYPD. As you embark on your journey to campaign, your website is immediately reflective of a concept we foster on the podcast. That is team first and self-preservation second to the mission. Therefore, your foot has been planted with good graces, and we wish you well in your journey. Our podcast is a mission for change. We are the voice from the outside of the police department to fight for the cops within the NYPD and ultimately all members of law enforcement nationwide. John McCary is the founder and co-host to the podcast. He is a retired lieutenant who stood on moral, moral principle and vested out with 18 years in combat of the forced vaccine mandate. I am Eric Dim, co-host of the podcast and coined as the most complained cop targeted by an overzealous CCRB. I retired as a lieutenant special assignment just shy of 20 years with boots on the ground with a full pension utilizing military service in light of the abolish the police movement. Together, John and I have created a pathway to fight for the cops and become a catalyst for change. We would be honored to invite you for an interview and provide you the opportunity to publicly speak out on behalf of your team's campaign. Your opponent, Corey Grable, was interviewed rather recently, and it can be viewed as followed. And Eric attached the link to the to the interview, which we know you all you guys watched. Um, please take note of the podcast as you will have an opportunity to answer the same set of questions. Our ultimate mission is to seek the truth and have an open conversation with professionalism and respect. We look forward to your response and meeting you on the podcast. Please contact us as soon as we are nearing the election and we can book a date to accommodate you in a busy schedule as your campaign and the endeavor. We are getting tons of requests for your appearance on our podcast. Our podcast is not endorsing anyone. However, we are providing a unique platform for the candidates as yourself to present your mission to the cops and view and analyze their ballot. Shall you have any questions, we can be contacted at the following. And Eric gives our full name, phone numbers, our personal numbers, ways to contact us on social media, and he wishes them the best of luck and signs off. I mean, I can't think of a, a, a nicer email to write somebody, a more professional email. And that's exactly what it is. But on Friday, the 21st at 3 p.m., the offer is rescinded. If at some point you understand that your campaign's failing and you want to then come on, you will not receive the same questions at that point. We will still take you on. So we're just letting you know ahead of time. <laughs> Uh, I, I, you know, again, I'm not taking it as a slap in the face to, to myself. I know Eric doesn't feel the same way. We really don't care, but we do. We're getting thousands and thousands of messages. I don't think anyone, even myself, I'm having a hard time comprehending how fast this podcast is growing. 
my social media, I honestly can't even keep up with it at this point. Um, I just all the different platforms, the amount of emails I get. So if I don't get back to you guys right away, or if I miss something, I apologize, but I just can't keep up with all of it. Um, but the amount of requests we had for Pat Hendry to come on here, it, it, it's nothing short of a slap in the face to your membership for you not to come on on top of the New York media also wants you to come on. Cause we've had several requests from the media asking for you to come on. And you know, it'll, it'll, like I said, you'll say, you'll say a lot without ever saying a word. So that that's all, that's all I got to say about that. You know, sorry to ramble on that topic, but I think we just had to, we just had to nail that home one more time. It's not ramble at all. I think it's extremely important right now. This is a pivotal point in history for the NYPD. Right now, the members of the PBA, I mean, they've, they've, they've been part of the Pat Lynch administration their entire careers. There's very, few, there's very few members of the New York City Police Department, as we speak, that did not start and end their career as Pat Lynch being the PBA president. Whether they were cops at one time or they moved up the ranks, but very few members on the job, a very select few that started before Pat Lynch and are still on the job. So with that being said, let's talk about this Long Island audit. You've been getting quite a few re uh, requests and myself so we can dissect uh, the video that we observed and give our expert opinion on uh, the elements that took place in this interaction. And uh, and, and again, we're not, I want to make sure that we, we, we understand that any cop that watches this, we're not here to offend the cops, but we're going to give our expert opinion on how we would handle it. And we understand, believe me, especially me, the, the nomenclature of the Civilian Complaint Review Board, the dynamics of the discipline matrix, the body-worn camera that you're wearing, the microscope that you're underneath. So with that being said, we are still going to give our expert opinion on how we would handle it. It's a recommendation to make it better for you going forward because this uh, it's obvious that uh, the Long Island audit is probably going to continue. It's a, such a vast city. We have 77 precincts, 12 transit districts, nine PSAs. So there's plenty of opportunity for the Long Island audit to continue his path amongst New York City. I, usually we see this Long Island audit throughout the entire country, but New York City is so vast in this metropolis. So it definitely gives him an opportunity to go to different precincts within the same department and see the reaction that he gets. As far as I'm concerned, I think he's an ambulance chaser. I, I really do. I think he's an ambulance chaser. I think ultimately, I don't think he does this because it's about transparency or showing the Constitution. I think that he's an ambulance chaser, and ultimately, it's to make money. Because if the Long Island audit, if he actually cared about the interaction the police department, and how citizens are treated and laws, he would actually set something up with the police department and actually have a, a professional conversation. Say, hey, listen, I would like to take part in an experiment and test police officers and supervisors at precincts amongst New York City and to get see what the interaction is and to educate each other on the Constitution. But he doesn't do that. He does it in a nagging way, in a way to try to bait the cops. That's his ultimate goal is to make a civilian complaint and to get, have it substantiated so that subsequently there could be a civil lawsuit. And that's my opinion. So let's start out with the video, John. And what 
what did you hear from the cops specific, specifically, and what is your take on the opening parts of this particular video? So, I just I just want to back up though before I even get into that. Like Long Island Audit is one of probably a million people out there in New York City. There's a ton of citizens journalists. There's a ton of uh, iPhone boys, as we like to call them. You know, <laughs> I personally think Long Island Audit. I, I I listened. I actually watched a few of his videos when I was on the job, and then again when I was off the job. Um, and and other auditors, like other people that do this, right? Because you got to know your job, and you got to know the laws, and you got to understand the ramifications of all this. I personally think. At this point, you should be weighing circumstances in everything you do, right? We believe in the Constitution. We swore an oath to the Constitution. I maintain that oath I swore to the Constitution, even in retirement. Um, so this isn't against Long Island audit or citizen journalism at all. But, you know, we got to talk about it from a, I'm going to talk about it from a police perspective, and we're going to talk about it from a civilian perspective, too. Um, first off, when it gets to when we want to talk about our policy, NYPD policy, right? The policy is vague. Policy says no recording in a precinct. And again, Long Island audit is correct. That is a policy. It is not a law. He's 100% correct. So the policy comes out in 2018. There was a sergeant at the 2A precinct. I don't remember if he just had a civilian with him or if he had a pregnant female. I don't remember the whole thing. But it comes out in 2018, and he gets berated at the desk. Guy's going nuts. He's disrupting police services. To me, he's disorderly, He's and he's obstructing governmental administration at that point. The, the sergeant cannot do his job. He could not provide a service to the people of New York City. That gentleman should have been arrested, not for the recording part of it, for his actions. Right. I mean, you know, are we going to defend a policy about recording when you're required to click your body cam with every interaction you do with with uh, with a citizen of New York, with a criminal, with the whatever it is? You have to click your body cam dealing with him and you're telling him you can't record, you, which is not a law. It's a policy. Um, you know, the memo that was released by the police department in 18, it says, I'm going to say, all right, here it is. The document states, recording police activity in public spots, streets, parks, and private property is a First Amendment right. It reminds the officers because it is. People can videotape you. They can't come in your face and videotape you, right? I was always trained if someone runs in your face with a with a phone, you don't know that that's not a gun. And I've seen plenty of guns in my time that look like phones, that look like wallets, that look like a lot of different things. Nobody's running up on me and doing that. That I'll I will take a substantiated CCRB for. I'm not. I'm. I want to go home. I don't want to get stabbed in my throat or shot in my face, which is my ultimate goal that day. You know, Long Island Audit was respectful to a point. To a point. Um, so it is the First Amendment right to record. Right. The document also directs police to arrest those who act in a manner so disruptive to meaningly interfere with police operations within a police facility. If they refuse to stop or leave when directed. 
But the department cautions cops. Conduct is not illegal merely because of the officer's subjective feelings about the person's statement, even if the statements consist of insults and ridicule. Like before we get into like what happens, what are your thoughts on that memo? It's very interesting. It's, it's very interesting how the job, the New York City Police Department with the patrol guide, lays the groundwork for this scenario. But it's, it's ambiguous and it's ambiguous for a reason, so that the cops have to understand that ultimately, if there is a, a situation that someone is acting out of order, that's intercepting, that's impeding the police officers from actually doing their job or intercepting pol a, a police investigation, that's where you, you where this procedure would come into play. And the actual filming is an additive or a contributing factor to the, the nature that someone is impeding the, 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 the police event or, or police business. And what the police officers have to understand by this procedure is that it's not an arrestable offense to actually film in a police area. It's not an arrestable offense. So that's the part that they're not getting. I agree with the Long, Long Island audit that he's allowed to film and the police officers should be numb to it. They shouldn't even care. They're wearing a body camera the entire day. Inside the precinct in the past few years, most precincts, and I'm going to assume the 121st precinct, which is the newest precinct in the entire city. I mean, that, that's a state-of-the-art precinct. Most likely that the entire precinct, especially the cell area, the desk area, is probably equipped with video and they're constant they're they're working under constant surveillance for the entire day as we speak. So with that being said, the police officer I have to understand, and in this interaction, the first cop is advising Long Island audit that he cannot film that he's subject to arrest. And that's completely wrong. Let him film. I don't even I I I, I just want to back up and say this that I used to always tell my men and women, when you have an encounter and you have an encounter and you engage someone in, in a conversation, there should always be a mission. You have to mostly detach yourselves from these, these things. Is the mission to make an arrest? Is the mission to write a summons? Is the mission part of an investigation? If it's not, then it's that encounter is unnecessary because all the police officer and the lieutenant are doing in this particular video is giving Long Island audit more ammunition to find errors and mistakes in the encounter. And ultimately who else is getting ammunition? The civilian complaint review board, civil liability. So what's important to understand here for the cops is that it's not an arrestable offense and it doesn't define that in this procedure. Yes, it is policy According to the NYPD, their policies, you cannot film in a public area. Yes, it, it has public access, but it's still, a, it's still a private area that is open to the public. So it can be, uh, it can be suspicious. I believe it's a case-by-case -case basis that depending on the behavior of the citizen or the perpetrator or person of interest or adversary, and they're filming it could correlate to something suspicious. It's my opinion. These cops may have knew who Long Island audit is, or they may have not. 
but they did not perceive a threat. So just the act of filming along alone, they should have been smart enough to say, you know what? You want to film? God bless. Film all day. But this is an intake. This is an intake pathway where everyday citizens and residents of the 121st precinct come into this precinct to make complaints. This is a, a, a pathway for police officers that are working on and off duty. You even see in the video two police officers working in in plain clothes. Maybe they were coming from the gym or they were coming off duty. So it's important that that pathway has access. So, but if he wants to film, let him film because it's not in the procedure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, that's if, if you know, if he's interfering with police operations, where as far as someone's going to come in and make a complaint, talk about confidential information, uh, could impede their investigation. Maybe they're a victim of a sex crime. Maybe they're a victim of whatever it is. That's totally different now. Now he's interfering in police operations. Forget that he's recording. He's OGA. He's trespassing now. Now you're like, hey, listen, you're interrupting right. in police and 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 police operations. This is not cool. You want to film while we're in here on a sunny day? Go right ahead. Um, the video opens up though with a lieutenant confronting him about him pulling on door handles, and so this message is to Long Island Audit. That is illegal. That is unauthorized use of a vehicle. You're excising control of that vehicle by pulling on the door handle. Yes, those vehicles do belong to the public because they are taxpayer funded. However, that is a danger. For In case you don't know, police officers are in threat of their life every day. Um, could be putting a bomb in the car. You could be sabotaging the car. You could be throwing thumbtacks that someone could sit on. You could be looking to steal something at. That is not okay. If I saw you pulling on a door handle or going in a car, I would arrest you for unauthorized use. Um, I don't recommend if he doesn't go in that car, arresting him for unauthorized use, because I believe the district attorney will not have your back, nor will the police department, nor will your police unions and the CCRB will substantiate you. Because, again, we shouldn't be the ones giving this information out. But I think it's necessary that this information does get out there because it's obvious the training is lacking. The mentality of what our mission is, is lacking. Our unions have not addressed this policy. Neither has the job. The job says, yeah, go do it. And then we'll just wash our hands of it. Because remember, you have discretion now. So I, and, and just another uh, just another note for Long Island audit. You know, every day that I drove home from work and still today in retirement, when I drive around, I take different routes everywhere I drive. I take different routes everywhere I drive. I never do a routine route. I don't go home the same way. I don't leave my house the same way. Everything I do, I leave from different doors from time to time. And I do that because my life is in, under constant threat of danger and constant threat of being taken for the actions I've done in the police department and now my advocacy for police and the men and women in law enforcement. And so if you're going to sit outside of a command you're going to sit outside of a command and you're going to film my personal car or you're going to touch the car that I'm about to get into and film those license plate. I am going to perceive you as a threat to my life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and that is exactly what I believe you're doing. What Eric says is you're trying to hook our emotions and you're trying to hook police officers motions to elicit a response that you will get a lawsuit from and get you paid. I don't believe I believe in the Constitution. I believe your right to journalism. I don't believe that that rule is 
a big problem in society today. So I, I don't know what you're solving by pushing back at that rule. I do respect that you're going out there, the educational purpose of it. But I don't believe that is your purpose. I believe at the end of the day, your purpose is the, is the almighty dollar. Um, so I have a big problem with that. But with that being said, again, if you're if if we're feeling in threat of our life, you are potentially putting us in danger by exposing our license plates, the vehicle license plates, um, even even publicly owned cars. Mm -hmm. Because these cars will be used to do surveillance. These cars will be used to respond to jobs. These cars will be used for public safety. Is it a crime? No. But you're a jerk off for doing it. <laughs> John, the first podcast that we had together, you interviewed me. And we spoke about what it is to be a cop. Particularly, we honed in and zoned in, especially the everyday life of being an anti-crime anti-crime police officer, anti-crime sergeant. You and I both did this type of work, right? So what I want to tell Long Island Audit is this, all right? I've, I've watched I've watched sev several of the uh, experiments and the tests that he's done at different precincts. I'm highly aware of the incident he had in Connecticut where he was arrested, and he currently has a civil lawsuit against the, I think it's the Connecticut State Police. They had an interaction there that led to an arrest. Um, so I don't want to go into uh, whether he was right or that arrest was wrong. But again, I'm going to go back to it. I do believe he's an ambulance chaser. I don't think that his his mission and purpose is to educate the public. I think he his purpose is to have fans, and he does have a huge fan uh, following base. I don't agree with their purpose. I think their purpose is ultimately to embarrass the police departments, to embarrass the police officers, to find the police officers that they can hook, to show that there's angry police officers, uh, unintelligible, to show that there's police officers that are not aware of the law. And I think there's extremely, there's, there's dynamics to this that you can really dissect. Yes, there is a difference between policy and law. And just because that you are in with your rights, that doesn't make it appropriate. There's plenty of things in life that you're, that you're allowed to do, but we don't do it. And it's a case-by-case -case basis. So, what do we talk about being anti-crime cop or just being a police officer? Was we always talk about a baseline. And so Long Island Audit, a normal baseline, and when I say that is the the view of a precinct, the normal baseline of a precinct is police officers walking in and out, pedestrians walking in and out, making complaints, NYPD vehicles parked in front, parked in the rear, cars that have been seized in regards to arrest police officers' cars that are parked there for the purposes of at work, that's a normal baseline. So when someone approaches a precinct and they start pulling on car handles, car door handles, that does not fit the baseline. That's extremely suspicious. So Long Island Audit makes the argument on different audits that I've watched and perform on social media, and he usually tries to hook the cops to detain him, and that his argument is, do you have reasonable suspicion that I committed or I'm about to commit a penal law misdemeanor or a felony, right? He's very educated when it comes to uh, when it comes to people versus the border and right to seizure. So in this case, I would argue that, yes, the first lieutenant in this particular video that had an interaction with him, as far as I'm concerned, he handled it the most appropriate. I thought he did a great job. 
He kept his interaction short and concise and to the point. And he didn't allow Long Island Audit to engage him into a lengthy conversation to get ammunition, ammunition that could be used against him. But I do believe the argument is that he could have been stopped and detained. And the reasonable suspicion is exactly what you said. Unauthorized use or grand larceny auto or could be car stripping or it could be casing a car potentially to put a bomb threat or something as that. I mean, in today's day, especially post-George Floyd riots, it's not beyond the uh, the, uh, the realm of possibility that someone would put a bomb or a Molotov cocktail inside an NYPD car. That Long Island audit, listen to what I'm saying, that does not fit the baseline. That is not normal behavior to go to a precinct and pull on car, do car door handles. You know what, what's normal? We, and we have it, and John, you've seen it many times. Tourists come to precincts and they take pictures next to an NYPD car with their family. But there's a different dynamic. They're usually smiling. That's normal. That's normal behavior. But just actually pulling on car door handles and creeping around the cars and casing them is not normal behavior. And in my opinion, a level three stop, which means there's real suspicion that you are about to commit a crime, does equiv is equivalent and would give the allotment to the police department to make a stop. And I think the lieutenant, if he did, he would have been in his right. Based on everything I heard him say in the video, the behavioral indicators were there to make that stop, and they would have been perfectly in their right. 100%. 100%. And, and honestly, th this falls on the union. It falls on the borough. It falls on every borough in New York City. I would be calling the DAs right now. I'll tell you right now. I would be calling my five borough district attorneys and be like, we have these guys that are coming around the precinct pulling on our door handles. Now, I don't believe that they're I don't believe that they're they're going to break into a car, but it's a bad precedent and they may. And it's creating a safety hazard for my members. Will you charge unauthorized use? And, and, and then I think Long Island order needs to be sent that the district attorneys will prosecute. And I got one better for you with the threat of arrest. I, 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 I take issue with threat, right? The long, the, the Lieutenant first told him, if you pull on door handles, you're going to get arrested. That is not a threat. That Correct. is a warning. And that is a promise. That is not a threat of arrest. We're not saying, Oh, I'm going to lock you up. Cause I don't like you. I'm not threatening you that I'm going to arrest you. I am advising you. I'm advising you. I'm warning you. And I'm promising you. If you do this, you are going to break the law which is required in most cases, including if you would trespass someone because you were, ex you were taking them outside of a public building because they were causing uh, alarm and disorder into, into any type of public facility, right? If you were going to tell them, I'm going to trespass you, you have to warn them. You have to advise them. And here's another issue that we failed. So Pat Hendry, here's a good talking point for you. You should add that onto your flyer. You should add that onto the flyer that you're going to seek to get threat of arrest clarified because that is not because in every arrest situation, we are seeing our cops being arrested. Um, I'm sorry, being charged with with that with with that charge on a CCRB threat of arrest. We're required to do. I it. got it. Yeah, but we're but we're required to do it. So how are we threatening? We're advising. You know, um, so that that that's a big one. So 
I think, I think the problem that I have with the video then when he goes in to push back, now he goes in and he goes into the precinct and he's filming. The initial reaction with the officer, um, I got to say, the kid, I don't know. Man. Like, I don't know if he's socially awkward. I don't know. He He's all ego and he goes right at him. I mean, like you said, that lieutenant handled it perfectly. Keep that interaction short. Get the hell out of there. Advise him what it is and get out of there. You don't need to interact with this guy. This kid, he makes it a scene right off the bat. Like, oh, this guy's filming. We're going to have to arrest him. Let him film. Who cares? Just advise him. Listen, you can't, you know, we, we, we uh, there's a sign about you shouldn't film in here. You're not interfering in police procedure. But if anybody comes in here and you will, I'm going to ask you to leave. And if you don't at that point, then I'll arrest you. And, I, and that policy will be adhered to. But I don't care. As of right now, do what you want. And walk away from him. Guaranteed he leaves. Because you could see on an earlier video, he goes to DMV. He interacts with two sergeants down at the DMV, Sergeant Bellow, and I forget the other sergeant's name. And they don't even pay him the time of day. He walks in the DMV, Staten Island DMV. He's filming around. All the workers in DMV, you can't film in here. Bah, 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 bah. He's getting everyone rowdy, exactly what he wants. They get the two sergeants to come out. Sergeants come out. They say, what are you doing? He goes, I'm a citizen journalist. I'm just filming. They're like, all right, well, there's prohibited areas that you cannot access. So you could film the main areas. You could fill all the areas to public. You can't go to the testing or the, or the courtroom. You're 100% not allowed to film in there. That is a crime, and you will be disrupting operation. Uh, other than that, have a nice day. Whoosh, that was the end of the conversation. That was it. That's it. That's perfect. That, that was perfectly done, too. I think, I think Staten Island DMV sergeant handled it perfectly. I just want to give a shout out. So uh, you and I both work with uh, Sergeant Bellow and the one two zero precinct when we were rookies on the job. Yeah. I had a great time. We were both cops together. So, hey, Joe Bellow, if you if you're watching this, I didn't get to see this portion of the video, but from what I'm what I'm told, you did a great job, brother. I, that's exactly what I expect. A short conversation. Don't pay that guy any mind. He doesn't deserve your time because all he's going to do is hook you into something. Get ammunition. To have something substantiated against you. If I could speak to that young cop right now, I watched the video of that young cop. And I, I think that inside, he with the right leadership and the right teaching, he could be a great cop because you could see he's motivated. He wants to work, but he's new. He's young. I don't think he sees the big picture and understands it yet. That the way I would explain it to this cop is this. And so if you're watching this to this cop, listen. You're playing blackjack. When Long Island Audit comes into the precinct, the house always wins. This is his game, and he's always going to win. So the best way is don't play the game. Just don't even interact with him. Don't even pay him any mind. And I'll tell you why. And here's the problem. So I, I don't want to get you in any trouble if this goes to CCRB, but I have been through more investigations with CCRB. I got to believe me. I used to joke around everybody at work. I say I got eight degree black belt in, C in CCRB. So believe me, the first thing that they go in to look at and say, well, you're, you're telling this, you're advising Long Island audit that he has to get out of the precinct. They subject to arrest. He's filming, but they're going to say that he's not perceived to be any threat. The cops, the cop walks down the stairs. His hands are in his pockets the entire time. Most of the time he engages into the conversation, his hands are in his pocket. It, honestly, listen, I'm not trying to hurt you. It looks extremely unprofessional. 
and in any interaction you have, your hand should always be at the ready. Okay, I used to teach my cops, it's called indexing. And what that means is your hands are always in front of you when you talk to someone, because anyone can become an adversary at any time. And what indexing is, is your hands are always higher than someone that you're talking to. Always. So that doesn't mean that you're actually touching them, but you're always in a position, hey, listen, I understand. But your hands are always at the ready, and you're framing your body just in case something does turn into some type of altercation. You're ready. Uh, so the, just the appearance of his hands in his pocket is reflected that long and it was a cat and mouse game and he got hooked into the game and I wish he didn't. Unfortunately, I, uh, like I said, with the right leadership and the right lecturing, I do think this kid could be a good cop. I, I just think he's young on the job and he just doesn't see the big picture. W what do you think about that, John? No, I, I think so, too. I think it was a lot of ego. I don't think he did anything wrong, the kid. I just think he exhibited a lot of ego, and he took an adversarial stance to the whole thing. You know, I've yes. been on – I've been – I've done the round robin of protests and details in New York City, you know, numerous times. I've been, you know, everywhere so many times. And, you know, I always laugh. I like – I don't ever want to be at any protest. I don't care. Like, if you're there so – I, I support Donald Trump. If you're there supporting Donald Trump, to me that day, you're a nuisance, even if I agree with what you're saying, <laughs> right? And and it's the true, same anti-Trump people to that day, I respect your right to protest, but to me, you're a nuisance that day. You're causing, you're causing work and disruption in the city. I'm not a protester. I don't go out there and protest. We have a ton of fans that are protesters. I don't, but I'm not going to take an adversarial position or, or a position of, of, of friendliness either i'm just gonna take hey it is what it is here it is what it is brother i'm just here i'm just they told me to stand here i'm here uh i'm just making sure you're safe and everybody else is safe that's it that's my job my job is to make sure you could exercise your first amendment rights and they could exercise their first amendment right everybody could ex exercise their first amendment right and that's what you said it's a game and it's a game you should you should be always have the one up and not need to explain yourself you know, I, uh, in, in full transparency, I got a ton of messages about the lieutenant. Oh, he's a pussy. Oh, he should have locked him up. Oh, this. I take the exact opposite stance. I think that that lieutenant was smart. I think that he saved that cop from a bad decision. I think he was looking out for his people. I think he put himself out there to, to shield his people from what he knew was happening with this game. Um, I think he was respectful. I think he let the interaction go for too long. And I, and I think he should have just let the guy film and walk. He should have just said, you know what? This is not a pause. This is a no one situation here. The guy's really not a threat at this point. He's filming. He's not interrupting anything other than he's annoying this rookie cop. Tell the cop to shut up and stand there. And that's it. And don't, and don't say a word. And and that's it. And let him and he'll go on his way. You know, that's the only part I think he failed. Other than that, I think the lieutenant did a great job. I just think he went, he let it go for too long. To the cop that kept trying to overtalk the lieutenant when he was when he was <laughs> keeping the guy down and calm and he was talking to him respectfully. You gotta learn how to deal with people, dude. You know, I don't know if they're still doing verbal judo. I know I had a black belt in it. I know Eric did. You're looking like <laughs> belt bro you look like a straight white belt you got to learn how to interact with people you can't as as much as anybody could be an adversary 
like Eric's talking about, we are going to come from a from a position of authority with knowledge. We must know what we're talking about before we're going to tell anybody something, right? We're going to come from a position and we also are going to be, we're not necessarily in an aggressive stance, but we're in the ready. And it, and by being in the ready, you are in an aggressive stance, but it's not an adversarial position. You're protecting yourself. You're protecting everybody around you. Um, I just think he needs a little bit more maturity. I could, I, anyone that knows me when I was a young cop, I was definitely guilty of being an immature as a young cop. Um, Within a few years, I did mature with the amount of interactions and arrests I had. Um, So, you know, I'm not, I'm not picking on you. You know, I was there too. You know, it took me a while to mature on the dog. It took me a while to get my ego out of interactions. Um, And that's another thing I think Long Island audit knows. I mean, if I walk into a, I don't know, a Popeye chicken and I know that I know their policy guaranteed 90% of the staff working in Popeye's chicken does not know the company's policy. And I could rip them apart if I studied it well. And, and I think that's the part is that like he is highlighting that there is a lack of training and a lack of education and a lack of knowledge in these nonsensical laws. So in that part, but again, who's he saving? You know, it's like, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Listen, I gotta be honest. I think the cop, I think, I think he got hooked and he exacerbated the situation. But at the same token, I'm not going to fault him too much. He's a young cop, as I said. From my appearance, he does appear to be a rookie on the job. If he, to me, anyone five years or less, he's still a rookie, still learning. And if that's the case, that's fine. He's going to learn over time. He's going to see that taking the high road is the best course of action. I, I do think that the lieutenant was extremely professional. And one thing I want from this young cop to learn is sometimes it's not just knowing what to say. It's also knowing when not to speak. So the lieutenant, the lieutenant took a position exactly. It was obvious that the lieutenant was aware that Long Island Audit was playing a game. He was going to try to hook himself and hook his people. And he decided to take over and shield everyone else. That was a great opportunity for the cop to say, you know what, let me take a step back. And even at that point, maybe even just walk away and go towards the desk. At that point, you already knew that he was not a perceived threat. Your hands are in your pocket. The lieutenant is a grown man. He Obviously, I saw he has two hash marks. He's got more than 10 years on the job. He's very comfortable. If it does get out of hand, he needs your, assistant, your assistance, you're a sneeze away. So at that point, Sometimes, it's, like I said, it's, it's not just knowing when to speak. It's knowing when not to speak. Body language is a huge factor. So I, I do believe that the cop will learn this over time. He's young on the job. You got to loosen your shoulders a little bit, relax, maybe soften his face at that point. Because at that point, we knew he, he was not a perceived threat. It was obvious that we're not going to make an arrest. The lieutenant did everything in his power to give and advise him, but not actually make the arrest. What I what I do find that is a shame, and for those that are watching this, the state that New York City is in right now, the state of the New York City Police Department, for the cops that have been retired who've never actually understood or had to be in this position, but it was more important for the lieutenant to be expressive to ensure that that business card was acknowledged and actually provided to Long Island Audit was the most important thing because that is that would have been the critique from the Civilian Complaint Review Board from risk management 
with the Federal Oversight Standards Assessment Bureau that did you give that business card? And I think it's absolutely ridiculous, this whole ideology of business cards. Why? First of all, the whole point of a business card is so that people are aware of the business you work for. So it's a contact card. But you you are a walking business card. You have a nameplate. You have a shield. Your uniform is reflective of NYPD. The person having interaction knows where you work. You have to state your name and rank and shield information if provided. And now on, on top of it, New York City Council had to administer that law that you have to hand a business card just to ridicule the cops. I think it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's completely redundant. Redundant. It's just another layer to have ammunition to find something to substantiate against the cops. So with that being said, I do think the lieutenant was extremely professional. However, with professionalism, it does not mean you have to be a welcome mat. And I think the, the, the interaction just went on far too long. I'm sure the lieutenant had far more interesting or important things to take care of at the precinct than have a conversation back and forth for 10 minutes by himself, wasting his time. The interaction should have been reflective of, of Sergeant Joe Bello. Okay, you can film here. Just make sure you stay to the side and we have a clear pathway. Have a nice day. That should have been the end of it. That's it. Why Why are we engaging into a conversation? You're just, it's like a fishing line. You're throwing the line in the water and you're just giving him more bait. Pull the line back and go back to the precinct. Yeah, 100%. Just disarm him. Okay. All right. Yeah, there's, yeah. A sign there. there's a sign there. I'm not locking you off for it. Be a gentleman and you'll be fine. See you later. Have a good day. Yeah. And they ask him how your hair is. Be like, is my hair all right? All right, thanks. <laughs> Business calls ridiculous. And I'm not knocking the young guy because in a lot of a lot of I, I'm telling you, I, I just see myself in him. Like I see that he was there. He was he was a lot of what he was doing is he felt he was protecting the lieutenant too. Yes. And and so like I I I it was just I just think he needs a little bit more maturity. I don't think he did anything wrong per se. I just think that it Things it, it, he presented the potential for things to go wrong when they didn't need to go that way, you know. And 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 I will say, the kid, the LIR kid, he's sharp. He's like he's escalating the situation. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. He, and and he kind of was right. Like he kind of was right. Like if he was, if 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 he was a different person and he was looking to get into a physical altercation, it, that would have led to it. He's not looking for a physical altercation. He knows that you guys aren't stupid. But people that are, there are some people that are out there testing you the same way that are looking for a physical altercation. You could probably disarm them too. Now, if they come in your range, totally different story. Like I said, all hands off. You come in my my zone of safety, which the police department doesn't talk about. That's totally different. Uh, then, then, then an arrest is that, that is that is an aggressive, uh, that is violent and tumultuous behavior. Nobody nobody should be in your zone of safety. Like I said, your ultimate goal on top of a successful conclusion before you could see that things come to a successful conclusion, you have to make sure you're not getting stabbed in your throat or shot in your face that day. That's before the, anything can happen. Those two things have to be true, you know? Um, so I, I would not, you know, so the young kid, I'm not knocking you. I just see a lot of myself in you when I was young too. That's it. Um, and the Lieutenant, like I said, I think he did a great job. I think you are trying to protect it. I think it went too long. We could all get hooked. I've been hooked a couple of times where I've gotten to conversations for too long with people that I shouldn't have. And it, and it just gives them more ammo, like Eric said. So I, I 100% agree with it. 
Um, and I really think the department needs to look at that policy overall. You know, the police commission, I really think that this policy should really be, it should really not be that you can't film in the area. If there's someone, even if there's someone taking a report, take them to the back to take a report where it should be private, where no one else could hear it. I mean, because in, in modern day New York, and he does highlight a, 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 a major flaw in the policy, which is New York is a one party state and by a one party state. Only one party needs to know you're recording, and that's you. So it's saying you can't film, but if I had a, if I had a secret recorder, I can't be charged with it. So just the fact that he's he's showing you he's filming is violating the procedure. But if he had like a, if he had a little little pelt him and was recording you, it's not a crime. So it's you know that sort of to the men and women of the New York City Police Department, my message, and and we're nobody now, we're retired. But, you know, coming from a citizen, I don't think it's something to keep yourself safe. I don't think this is a policy that you should be putting your head down and enforcing. I really don't. I, you know, like I said, if someone comes in that precinct like they did in 2018, cursing and screaming and yelling, that's OGA, that's discon, lock them the fuck up. I hope I hope they this young cop, I don't know his name, I don't know who he is. Again, I'm going to assume that he's pretty new on the job. I don't want him to think that we're knocking him. If you're watching this episode, this is my message to you. If you were my cop, I'd actually rather have you than some of these cops right now that are extremely meek, timid, and docile. Because I do believe, if you go back and, uh, on one of our podcasts, we talk about masculine traits. I do believe you exhibit those masculine traits you need to be an effective police officer. I do believe you exhibit enthusiasm. I do, I do think you exhibit camaraderie because you wanted to step in you wanted to do the right thing and do the job i think that he perceived as hey what the lieutenant shouldn't have to do this let me take care of it i don't think he was trying to be disrespectful and overstepping the lieutenant um I, I you know i just think he's doing the job and didn't see the bigger picture but i would rather have him being young and full of piss and vinegar than meek tim and docile because he has that warrior spirit i could groom him i could tail that down and teach him that hey it's great to be a warrior but you have to know when to exhibit those traits and qualities and when to let out the beast. And you have to know how to tame it. And how do you do that is you have to emotionally detach yourself from a situation. You have to ask yourself what's the mission and what's the purpose here. I would always tell my cops that when you're in a situation, ask yourself what's the mission and what's the purpose. And if you find that the mission is attached to some emotion, that's where you need to immediately remove yourself. You have to emotionally detach yourself because, the you know, it's good to have an ego. We all have egos. It's a, the, our perception of ourselves. It gives us confidence. It, you know, that's why we have nice cars. That's why we put on nice clothes. It's about ego. And ego can be good, but sometimes e ego can be something that's negative and it brings you down. So don't let ego get involved and get in your own way. Just remove that ego. You know what? The lieutenant's handling it. Maybe he knows more than I do. Let me step aside. He's got plenty of experience. Now, with that being said, I want to say to the Lieutenant, you were extremely professional. However, at that point, I, I always said to ourselves, you know what? We're not car salesmen. You don't have to constantly negotiate with him that, hey, you can't film, you can't film. You have to make a stance. You have to, you have to put your foot down, and you have to be firm. Now, I'm not saying you should, but if you're going to say, hey, we're going to make this arrest, then make the arrest. Obviously, because you're going to get yourself a substantiated civilian complaint anyway, because they're going to say that you threatened to make that arrest. How do I know? Because the civilian complaint review board, when I was targeted 
in numerous complaints. That was the catch-all. When they couldn't substantiate a complaint against me or my men and women, the catch-all was threatened to arrest. So I believe that would be the catch-all in this situation if it does go to that, that point. And unfortunately, if you're substantiated with a complaint and there's civil liability, in most cases, unless Chief Monaghan is attached to the post-George Floyd riots, you're not going to be indemnified. So you have to be mindful of that. Keep your interactions with a purpose. Keep them short and to the point. I don't think that you should keep these conversations going. The encounter does not have to be any longer than it should. Again, I don't want to knock this cop. I do think that he exhibits traits and he could be a great police officer. Maybe he is already. It's just a mistake in, in this interaction, I, I believe. And going forward, as a cop, unfortunately, you do have to be an actor in many cases. Keeping your hands in your, in your pockets is not acting and you're not playing the part. You always have to have your hands at the ready. And get, and even, you know what, you have to give the perception to the public that this person could potentially be a threat. Keeping your hands in your pockets completely just delineates from that. And, and if you need that ammunition to show that this person could be a perceived threat, your body language did not exhibit that and did not translate to that by you having your hands in your pockets. But again, I don't understand. Me personally, I this is the part I don't understand, John. Why do they even care if he's filming? You got a body camera. There's cameras everywhere. Who cares? Just film all day, buddy. I don't care. You want to waste your time and watch cops walk in and out? We're on camera all day anyway. You want to watch people make complaints? Have fun. That's what you want to do? Go ahead. Waste your time. Just do me a favor. Make sure this path is clear. That would have been the end of the conversation for me. You got to be professional, but you sure as hell don't have to be welcome, Matt. I refuse to do that. I'm sorry. I agree. I agree. But unfortunately, we legislated these guys to be welcome, Matt, with the business card. Um, you know, we we legislated them with with, with the disciplinary matrix to be welcome, Matt's. You know, and you know, and they they're still talking about it. Oh, people should walk in the police precinct and feel uh, special. You know, I remember. They gave me a project one time. I, I wasn't, it wasn't even my project, but they just told me to go meet with the mayor's office and the police commissioner's office to go to the 7 5 precinct because they wanted to put a glass storefront in front of the precinct. So I'm driving over there and I'm reading the plans as I get there. I don't, I don't know. It's like this it was a college project. They want to make the police precincts more friendly. They want to put Wi Fi in so the community can come in and hang out. They want to <laughs> allow unlicensed vendors. To sell un unlicensed vendors. <laughs> That's so why I'm laughing. You said unlicensed, right? Okay. Outside <laughs> of the precinct. And the thought behind it, and it says it clearly in the plan, said it clearly in the plan was that this will reduce crime. Now, I almost threw up driving there. I was like, oh, this is where I've, I've come to in my career. Like, it is what it is. <laughs> I'm like, I, but I'd rather be doing this at this point because the other, all the other nonsense, it's just ridiculous, you know? So I, uh, so I get Wait, there. John, John, I don't want to interrupt you, but you said it was a glass front. A glass front. It, oh, maybe, maybe that was to protect from people that are unvaccinated. Well, I, well, they didn't know yet. They didn't have it yet. That was, and it was for the robots, so the robots could see like where they're going. But, uh, but anyway, I met with a first grade detective from the police commissioner's office. You guys probably know him. I won't blow him up, but uh, him and uh, and um, and someone from the mayor's office, like a civilian. And the lieutenant from the seven fives there. And so I was like, hey, you know, like, what is there another way? Could you show me another entrance? Like, we might have to shut down the front of this precinct. 
you know, what, how is that going to interfere with your operations? Can you bring prisoners in this way? How could we have complainants coming in during this time? Blah, 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 blah. So, you know, the, the lieutenant says to me, clear as day, he goes, you know, and, and the, the mayor's representatives there and the police commissioner's representative there. He goes, what is this about? I said, well, they feel that if they put this glass store front, crime will go down. And <laughs> he just looked at okay. me. This guy kidding me. I said it straight faced. I, I was like, yeah, I was like, here's the here's the idea. I gave him the plans. I was like, yeah, you know, and I was like, it's not going to be me, but somebody will come, whatever. Anyway, we leave. <laughs> The detective calls me when I leave and he's like, hey, I just want to let you know. I just want to let you know you can't be saying things like that. And I was like, excuse me. I was like, excuse me. I was like, first of all, I was like, I told him what was in that plan. I was like, and if you don't like it or the mayor's office doesn't like it, you could tell the commissioner exactly what I said. And you could tell me where it was wrong. You know, this is what it is today. Right. And 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 my point in the story is just that. All of this shit is ridiculous. It's all ridiculous. You don't have to tell anybody it's ridiculous. You could just point it out. You know, you don't have to do anything that's outlandish. No. Yeah, that's what it says right here. Yeah, I don't know. I I didn't write that. That's what it says, you know. And and so here's this stupid ass policy. What are you defending it for? What are you defending it for? Yeah, no, it says that it's illegal. I don't care. Yeah, it says it. Yeah, film. See you later. Like, don't get yourself hooked with the nonsense and bullshit of this city because they're going to turn their fucking back on you. They already have. They're going to turn their back on you with the CCRB. They're going to turn their back on you with this kid when he sues. And like Eric said, if you get a substantiated CCRB, they are not going to indemnify you. The only reason Eric got indemnified was because Monahan was involved in it. If you don't have a chief getting sued with you, you're not getting indemnified. Even if the lieutenant, white shirt immunity starts a two-star chief. So you need your borough commander to come down from the one to one if you want to get indemnified, you know. So that's that's my whole point. Do not defend bullshit policy. Yeah. Again, I want to reiterate to the cops, any cops that are watching this right now, if you're visited by Long Island audit or any of these orders, don't engage them. Don't even mind the fact that they're filming. You're on camera all day. If it makes you feel any better at that point. Put your body camera and say, you know what? I'm being filmed anyway. Why does this bother me? You shouldn't even care. And again, John, I agree with you 100%. Because the job is not going to protect you. And if you read if you re read the fine line of that procedure, basically what it's saying, it's really up to the cop to make the decision if there is an arrest that's imminent or if an arrest should be made. They're throwing it in your lap. That's all, John, if I'm right, that's what I, I believe is what you're saying. Yep. It's they're, they're throwing... All the liability on the cop. They're saying, hey, we have this policy, but it's almost like it should be this policies if we have other factors. There's policies if we have other factors, and the cop makes the determination that's appropriate. And then again, after that, you are going to be critiqued and viewed by all these agencies, outside agencies, and then within the department, and I'm sure if we wanted to go through a fine-tooth comb, we'd find some type of mistake that you made. No one is, you know, we all make mistakes. It's just a reality. There's, there's some mistake that we could find. So why even put yourself in that position? It doesn't say that, hey, this is a must procedure. This must happen. The liability is 100% on you. It could be the lieutenant. It could be the cop. 
that's having that interaction, and it's for you to make the determination. So the liability, if there is a civil lawsuit or a CCRB, is not on the job. It's on you. You have to say, well, this person was filming. They were impeding pedestrian traffic. They impeded and intercepted an investigation. They obstructed governmental administration. Here's the contributing factors. It's ultimately going to be completely up to you on a case-by-case basis. So completely avoid it. Why put yourself in that position that you're going to have to face a potential civilian complaint? And law and civil liability, too. And civil liability, absolutely. No, I I agree. I agree. You know, and uh, to Long Island Audit, if you feel we misrepresented anything, anything you want to come on, reach out to us. We can bring you on. You can talk to us. Um, you know, we're not, uh, we won't bite. Uh, but like I said, when it comes to safety, when it comes to the vehicles, I mean, I'm not going to be nice either. And I'll tell you, if I could lock you up and I know myself, I know the laws in New York city, I will lock you up because you, you are, you are impeding my safety. You're putting my, my personal vehicles on camera, the car I'm going to get into, do not pull door handles. And, and, and I'm telling everyone you should be reaching out to your union or your supervisors to call at DA's office to get the okay. Uh, he put on his last video that Saturday, they're going to protest in front of the one-to-one. Who cares? Let them protest. Hopefully some of you guys get overtime. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> and that's it. I'll sign up, boss. Put me in. Police commissioner, if you're listening to this, I'll, me and Eric will come in. We'll, we'll run the detail if you'd like. Um, <laughs> put us in, coach. Um, we, you know, but uh, Put that's me it. in, baby. I'm back. Put me in. Uh, yeah. Oh, John, you're you're good, right? You don't need a vaccine. You're good. I I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I have to get approved. I have to, you know, I'd have to go. I'd have to get approved again. You know. I'm curious if I if I if I came back, would I walk away from that protest with a with a civilian complaint? <laughs> I mean, well, no, I mean, we can't stop anyone from making a civilian complaint. You know. <laughs> But yeah, that's it. Don't get hooked by these guys. That's it. Don't and and don't even get mad at it. It is what it is. It's just it is what it is. Listen, they're journalists, they're media. I mean, me and Eric are, are journalists now too. You know, so it is what it is. Just don't get hooked. Keep yourself safe. I think that's uh I you know, anything else you want to add on that or you want to move on to the next topic? No, no, I agree hundred percent. I, I just want to reiterate, uh, we support the cops hundred percent to the cop. Listen, there was a couple of things that we thought you could do better. But again, I think you exhibited good traits. Just keep trucking. You'll get better. Over time, we mature and, and we learn how to deal with people and what works. So I hope that you take this with a grain of salt and you take it as good advice and, and, and not offended by it. And for the lieutenant, you did a good job. You're extremely professional. Just don't even engage him. Honestly, don't even give him his time. You should just make it, you should just make it that he wasted his time driving all the way out to Staten Island for a two-minute interaction. That's all. Waste his time. Honestly, Long Island Audit, I have nothing personal against you, but I do think that your ultimate goal is just to hook these cops and make them look terrible on camera and to make yourself look right and you know, and have a, a, a follow-up conversation to your fan base and talk about how terrible these cops were. But unfortunately, the cops that are out there right now, they're heroes. They're out there protecting you. They're protecting you so that you can go around precinct to precinct and do what you do. Let's be honest. That's that's the reality with this. So, I definitely think there's enough of that. Let's go. What's the next topic? What do you think? Yeah, let's uh, let's go on to the viral video about um, the sheriffs are raiding a smoke shop. 
One last thing, though, I got to say about one Long Island. I, I apologize. One last thing. No, it's, it's good. It's cool. Branding of that has branding of the video, that YouTube video. Go on his YouTube video, one two one precinct. He says tyrant threatens arrest. I mean, right then and there, he's selling you something. That lieutenant did not act as a tyrant whatsoever. He went and engaged them on some bullshit policy. And he wants to talk about tyranny. Like, I mean, whatever. That's all I got to say about that. But let's let's talk about, you know, there was a female officer. She has her back to the avenue. She is, there's people filming, which questionable to me why they're filming. But again, citizen journalist, was this guy citizen journalist? Was this guy set up? Because we're seeing a lot of psyops in New York City going on as well. Um, so whatever that is, people are there filming. The sheriffs are at a smoke shop. Um, going after business while people are allowed to use the same product and sell it legally on the street. Um, but you're not allowed to do it in your business. So the sheriffs are removing property out of the business. Female <laughs> is standing there with her male partner. She has her back to one part of the avenue that's oncoming. Male sneakily walks up on her with his head down, bottle in his pocket, and cracks the bottle across her face it looks like it's on her orbital bone or her head um but the bottle actually smashes he hits her so hard with it um what do you what are your thoughts about that eric well first of all i want to say that i don't want to see anyone get attacked i don't want to see any police officer no matter how critical i could be about the the traits of that police officer or the quality of that police officer i do not want to see any police officer get attacked i'm extremely Sorry that this happened to this uh, female police officer. I hope that she's okay and she heals and recovers from it quickly. With that being said, I did get some attacks on social media because I put my I put my take of her position on social media, and immediately I was hit with some some drawback, and uh, the perception was that I wasn't being sincere, and that's not the case at all. I'm extremely sincere, which is why I am critical because I care. And, and with that being said, I was always informative when it came to my men and women constantly train them and it's so important to train them physically and that they're prepared to do a job but the most important thing that i would prey on and i would constantly focus on was mindset and i do believe and i hope that the cop that was injured if she is in in good enough condition to watch this i hope you take this as good advice if you decide to, to stay within the police department I hope that you take this advice to change your behavior when you're actually doing police work. And the mindset has to be is you always have to be in the game. And I, I and I say it like this. So I read Arnold Schwarzenegger's book. And what I always thought about was fascinating about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Is he said what separated him apart from other bodybuilders. And John, I know you're really into working out. So he would say that when he worked out, he would always envision that his mind was in the muscle. So if he was doing a bench press, he would envision, he would say, okay, my chest has to feel this. My chest, And he would basically audio visual and talk to himself. And that's the same thing for the cops. Your mind has to be in the game. When you're standing a post, you have to constantly remind yourself, where are my potential threats? Where should I stand? What should I be focusing on? What is my baseline for the day? What should the post look like? Because when you watch that video, that perpetrator did not fit the baseline. He completely, when you watch that video, 
as I always say, it's almost like look at that, that picture that it's blurry, but if you focus, the image emerges. He emerged as he did not fit the baseline, and they didn't catch it because I watched her demeanor, and her hands were in front, uh, kind of like gingerly. I think that she, her mind was not there. Her mindset was not focused. I'm not saying she's a bad cop. I don't know how she is in prior interactions, but I can only base it on what I saw in that particular video. So maybe she had something going on at home. Maybe she's busy, and she, she maybe she didn't want to be there. Maybe she had something going on, uh, something personal, or maybe she is a terrible cop. I don't know. Again, I'm extremely sorry that this happened to her, but she was not tactically prepared, and her mind was not set and focused on what she was doing. She didn't appear to be standing, holding a pulse, controlling uh, an environment. She appeared to just be standing gingerly, not paying attention. How do we know that? For one, her back was not against the wall. This is a busy avenue in the Bronx. It's during the day, and you're already doing uh, an operation inside the store. So you're already going to have a crowd of people that want to watch. People love watching the police or any type of authority just to see what they're doing and filming. So she was not in a position to protect herself. Protect herself. Now, the uh, police officers, especially now, crime is out of control. And with all this legislation and this anti-cop sentiment, anti-cop movement, you are vulnerable every day that you work as a police officer. And you have to be aware that you're vulnerable. You have to protect yourself. You have to have situational awareness. And did she, uh, in, in this video, she did not exhibit situational awareness. Again, I'm extremely sorry that this happened to her, but I hope that she takes this as an opportunity to make herself better. As Jocko Wilnick always says, turn something bad into good. It's this bad that this happened. She's lucky to be alive. Thank God. This could have been worse. I mean, she was hit with a bottle. She could have fell. She could have hit her head. God forbid. I hope she takes this to make herself the best cop. It's okay to fail in life. It's how you come back from it. No, well said. Yeah, I, it's uh, all about situational awareness, you know. And, and and listen, it's not fair, right? It's not fair to cops because we're not robots, right? So we can't continuously keep our mind in every situation at all times. But you have to. Yes. You, know? you have to. You know, it's, you know, the stuff they tell you in the academy. You don't walk into a, a store. You don't walk into a store without looking at what's going on in that store first. And the reason cops do that is you're in uniform or you're not in uniform. I mean, even I, I the majority of my career, I, I didn't wear a uniform, but I had a radio. People knew who I was. You know, I had a radio. I had a color under under my arm here. People knew who I was. I was wearing camouflage shorts, Jordans. Like everyone knew who the fuck I was. Um, and <laughs> the yes, you walk into that store, you're the target. You're the one that that, that store is getting robbed. They're going to kill you first. If somebody's looking to do something bad, and unfortunately, it's a, just a part of life. You know, I love hearing all the times people say cops don't do anything. It's the easiest job in the world. It's like, oh, yeah, but there's just there's just people that get murdered every day on New York City streets. And we're just going to ignore that. Cops don't do anything. They're just the ones that fucking run there when it happens. You know, however that is, whether it's physical assault, uh, firearms, knives, uh, weapons, bats, whatever it could be. Um People are murdered every day and, and cops are running to that direction. And in those times, it's easy to be in the situation for a cop. It's, 
it's the times when everything seems normal that it's it's your mind frame starts to lose. You're tired. And that's why these doubles and all of this constant work with no days off is really impedes the safety of officers and impedes public safety because those officers can't be in that moment seven days a week. 80 hours a week. They just can't do it. It's it's not humanly possible. The human body cannot do it. So that's that's a big danger, not only to them, but to you, because they're not ready to react. They're not even going to perceive what's going on. Your mind is your sharpest tool as a police officer. So 100%. I mean, if you look at the two camera, there's, there's two camera point of views. I posted the camera view of a cameraman. and He's got his back to her. And I think it's questionable. I do. I want to know who the, who that guy was. I would love to speak to him. I want to know what he was doing there that day. Whether it was nefarious or it wasn't. His angle. You see him step back. And you see this guy come up with his head down. And he pulls a bottle out of his pocket. Completely premeditated. Bang! Cracks her in the face. Now, she's not ready. So everybody jumps on her that oh she ran away she did this now i'm gonna say right now if you're ready and you see a threat coming at you and you get cracked with a bottle and you run that is cowardice her mindset was not in that fight she did not perceive a threat she did not even know what happened Bang, she gets cracked in the face with a bottle. She doesn't know if she shot. She doesn't know if she stabbed. She doesn't know if she got punched. She runs to reassess. So I don't take it as a point of cowardice. I take it as a point of not being ready, like Eric said, in the moment. If she was ready and he hit and she <clears throat> run, that and she leaves her partner, that is totally different than what, what happened there. And that's why... Being present in the moment is always the thing. You're driving in that car. You keep your windows cracked. I don't care if it's raining. I don't care if it's snowing. I don't care if it's negative 10. You hear everything that's going on. You pull up to the store to get food. You fucking circle the block first before you park that car. Before you get out, you let everybody know that you're around. Your presence should be there. You're scanning. You're looking. When your back's to the wall, you know what's on top of you. You know where you're going to run if shit starts coming down on you or what's going to happen. You need to be present on New York City streets, your mind constantly. Because this, which is horrible and what happened, could easily have been a knife to the throat or a gunshot to the back of the head. John, you and I talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect constantly. It's it's a it's a series of of studies, which I I think is an amazing study, and I think that people suffer from the Dunning-Kruger effect. Anyone says that it's easy to be a cop, that a cop doesn't do anything, they don't know what they don't know, and it's interesting because if they watch a cop standing a foot post, someone that has never done police work or doesn't understand how police work how police work is or to actually work in law enforcement, they don't know what they're looking at. So when they see two police officers standing a post at a store, as we saw when this girl was attacked to them, they're just standing there doing nothing. But what they don't understand, because that's a Dunning-Kruger effect. What they don't understand is that it's exhausting. It's mentally taxing. If you are doing your job the way it's supposed to be done to keep yourself safe and you're standing on a post for seven hours 
because it's an eight-hour day. Maybe you had an hour lunch. But if you're standing for seven hours, it's exhausting. One, your body has to be postured in a certain manner so that you have a bird's-eye view of what's going on, which means her back should have been against the wall. So that's already an uncomfortable position. You're constantly scanning, looking left, looking right. You're seeking out potential perpetrators, potential adversaries. You're looking for someone that doesn't fit the baseline, someone that can hurt other citizens or someone that can hurt you. And that's constantly that wheel, that auto loop is constantly going the entire time. It's mentally exhausting. So for anyone to say that cops don't do nothing and that it's easy, they don't know. They don't even understand what they're looking at. Again, it's like two MMA fighters in the cage and you see a clinch and the two locked up. And if someone doesn't have any experience and understand martial arts, they say, oh, oh, this is boring. Nothing's happening. When two, when two combatants or, or two, two people are competing in a, in a match or, or a cage, and they're locked up in a clinch. There's so much going on. It's just unless you train martial arts, you don't know what you're looking at. But it's the same thing. Two police officers standing against the wall canvassing a, a, a high flow of pedestrian traffic. It's mentally exhausting. And I again, I, I think 90% of police work is mindset. The actual uh, the actual interaction when he hit her in the head with the bottle and, and to the takedown, it, it happens in seconds that they get him under control which is great. And, and plenty of citizens stepped in. It's nice to see that there are still citizens that are, uh, that still believe in law enforcement and protecting cops because the cops are ordinary people just like you. So that was nice to see. Um, but it's taxing on the body. And I, I, I think, I think that we have to get back to having that mindset. John, you and I talk about it all the time. You have to have that warrior mindset and you have to have those masculine traits. You have to show you, aggressiveness but with control emotionally detached from it and you have to show that you are ready and that's a deterrent i do believe i would put my last dollar on it that they were that this particular perpetrator if we were to go back and find some video i would put my last dollar that he passed them several times before he committed this act it was 100 premeditated and planned I'm sure he walked past them several times to do a dry run, dry run. He made the observation that her mindset wasn't there. She wasn't paying attention and he was able to sneak up on her and he took advantage of it. That's what these adversaries do. They wait for a moment of weakness and they take advantage of it and they prey on it. And that's what he did in this particular case. And thank God she's alive and thank she, God she's okay. I got to find the podcast. I've talked about it many times on New York's Re Finest Retired Unfiltered Podcast, that my fear is that a cop is going to get hurt, not by a firearm, but by a tussle, by a close proximity, someone getting their hands on another cop. And it happened here. And thank God, thank God she's okay. It could have been worse. So to the cops out there, put your mind in the game. You have to be ready. It's exhausting, but you have to protect yourselves. You deserve that. Yeah, and the other point I forgot to bring up too, with that, with mindset and what you're saying is there's a second camera angle, which is the, actually the first angle that came out. It's an overhead from the, the building. And, and I want you to look at that video. Go back. It's all over social media. I want you to look at that video and I want you to rewind as the guy's walking up. You see the, the second cameraman from that overhead angle and he looks at him. He sees him. And when he sees him walking, he 
perceives him as a threat and he steps back and away from him and he's just holding his phone, but he's not looking. He's looking at him, you know, and, and, you know, again, I want to talk to that guy, but it could easily be that that guy was just filming that and he was a journalist, but he was in the moment and he saw he didn't fit the baseline. And he was like, wait, what is this guy doing? This guy don't look right. You know? And, and then boom, the guy just does it, you know? And, I don't know. You just got to be like I like I said, it's impossible to be in the moment, but there's no fucking excuse. You have to be constantly in the moment. I don't care how tired you are. I don't care. It's the West Indian Day Parade and your legs are filled with blood and this big and you're tired and you had a call the night before and you really didn't sleep for two days. You got to get home to your family. That's the most important thing. You know, you, you know, we, we got to be in in the moment. And even at the times that we're not, we have to appear that we are. Even at the times that we're not, we have to peer with you. Get your fucking heads out of your phones. You know, your significant other, whoever you're with, your friends, it's fine to shoot somebody a quick text. You shouldn't be having conversations with them. You shouldn't be going back and forth on group texts. You shouldn't be on social media. Your head needs to be in the fucking game, especially when you're sitting in that car. Don't never forget Lou and Ramos sitting in that fucking car eating and got assassinated. I would never like to sit in public and sit in a car. When my partner went in the store, I stood outside. I am not okay with that. I We have to, have to, have to be in the moment. John, I know you hate you hate Malcolm Gladwell, but I got to make a reference to him. But in the book Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell talks about how how Korean, uh, how air, uh, air pilots in Korea, they had a huge problem and that they did some statistic analysis that they had the most crashes than any other airlines in in the world, and they found the reason was is because they're so respectful of each other that when the 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 second mate to the uh, pilot was uh, timid from actually saying, "Hey, listen, you know, you you need to make an adjustment or 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 actually correct them because they want to be polite to each other." So, what I mean by that is, in the correlation I'm saying is, cops have to police each other. The other cop that was standing there, he should have said to should should have said to the female cop, "Listen, hey, it's busy out here. Hey, get your back against the wall. You know what? Or, or something like, listen, I know you're tired. Whatever was going on with that girl, I know you're tired. Or maybe you had an argument with your husband. Or, listen, I, whatever's going on, you got to put that to bed. But you, you got to get in the game. Put your back against the wall. We got to be sharp. You got to police each other. We can't be shy to put each other in our place. And absolutely." It, it, you know what I'm saying? Because it has to be done. Absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you a story. I work with a guy. I'll probably listen to this. I work with a guy who was a little senior <laughs> to me. He was senior to me. He actually liked me. He got me into crime very young because he liked me. But you sound like a bandit. Somebody actually liked you? <laughs> but he was on his phone with his wife constantly. And I used to yell at him about it constantly. I said, just, you know, and he's like, I'm always in the game when I need to be in the game. Blah, blah, blah. You know, i like, okay, whatever. So we're getting a rash of daytime birds. So the 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 birds are corner house in an affluent area of Tonville, right? So it's a, it's like these big houses. It's usually a business owner's house, right? And we're getting a rash of birds. We have this bird crew that we wind up catching later, but that's another story. That's for another day. But this comes over 1011 at this address. Try the call back fucking they say the name i remembered the lady's name and that i forget what business they own 
but it, it fit perfectly to a T backdoor, backdoor indicator. So we pull up to the, we pull up, you know, we don't pull up directly to the house. We used to, we used to park and then walk up. And so like we would walk up and like see what's going on in the neighborhood or the any cars. Cause we would always look to see if there's a lookout anywhere. If there's another car on the corner before we would get in. So we do that. We don't see anything. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go. I said, I'm going to go into the backyard and I, and I'm going to go into the backyard. And we were doing this via phone because we stayed away from each other. We came from different angles. So I said, I'm going to go in the backyard, stay in the front. Let me know if you see anything. Call me if you see anything, right? Because we don't want to go on the radio because we believe that they were using the radio. I would keep my radio very low, but I had it on me. God forbid I needed to call for help. Um, but we were communicating via our phones. Um, and I go in the backyard and, you know, I'm checking the windows, nothing. I'm checking whatever, nothing. I check the back door, sliders good. I'm looking, I'm peering in, everything looks good. I'm like, all right, I come out and my partners cross the street, not looking at the door, talking on his phone with his wife. Fucking snapped. And I'm telling you, I reamed him out in the car the whole way back. I told everyone what he did, including the sergeant. I was like, this fucking piece of shit. Because, you know, and, and he's like, oh, stop. I was there. I was like, no, it's not okay. And we literally had an intervention with him. Because we're like, this isn't okay, dude. Like, it, uh, you want to talk when we're driving, it's fine. But you can't do it when we're doing stops or when we're, when we're on, on a burp. Like, you, you can't do that. Like, if I was back there, you would have never fucking known. And I was actually took longer. I actually took longer that time because I the house was so big that I was checking all this stuff. I was back there for a while. And and that and it just goes on that. Like, if you're going to let that slide, I mean, that could happen to you one day. But, like, little things can't slide. And we were fine. We You know, we, we talked it out. And, and you know what happened? He, he, did, he never did that again. You know, like, <laughs> happened. You know, that makes me laugh because there's this cop I used to work with back when I was a cop in the once in a while. Nicest guy, man. I'm not going to mention his name, but if he's watching this, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Because we used to all break his balls and we used to joke with him. Like, he's the guy that if he got into a shootout and if his wife called, he would pick up the phone while he's in a shootout. He'd be like, honey, I'm taking shots. I'm taking shots. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I'm turning the corner. That guy would, yeah, definitely. Like, I don't know how you do this job. You got listen. I get it, but sometimes you got to put your wife in a, in a place and let her know, like, honey, I'm doing a dangerous job there. Yeah. But he would definitely, he would pick it up, and be like, honey, I'm taking shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, man, he's to crack me up. But if he's watching it, I love you, brother. I know he's, he knows what I'm talking about. So I hope you're not still doing it. No, but I mean, but we have to police each other. We have to, you know. I've done dumb things too, where I've, you know, like people have told me, like, dude, it's not cool, you know, and and. And that's the only way we learn, right? It's the only way we learn. Sometimes we get in our own head and we need other people to break us out of it, you know? Um, so the whole phone thing, even though I can't stand Eric Adams and I think the sticker is fucking stupid, <laughs> I personally think you guys need to stay off your phone, you know? Like I, we talked about that video of the two girls on Times Square where the one partner's on her phone with her head down and the guy's coming up with the handcuffs and the other girl's just sitting there with her back up against the wall, completely unprepared, if that guy would have did that, he would have be he would have took both of them out. 
he would have smacked Hall and beat the shit out of both of them because they were completely unready. At least this guy, you see him. He was on his phone. He does send a text, but he scans. And you kind of see that he's 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 looking as he's using his phone. He's sending a quick text. And that's why he was able to, to get right into the fight when the fight came because he was still in the moment. And uh, so, you know, kudos to her partner, kudos to the sheriffs and all the people on the street that day that helped. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said, I hope she she gets well and she was recovering from it. And physically, I think she'll be fine in, in no time. But I hope that this is a reminder to her that hey, if you're going to continue to stay on this job, you got it. You got to protect yourself. You have that right, and it starts with situational awareness. I believe that you have to create that an, almost an aura, a zone where you give the appearance that someone can't get to you. You have to give yourself that layer of protection. Your presence is your first position shown warrior spirit. It's your first it's your first tactical position of violence, honestly. It shows that you are prepared for violence. So anyone from the leftist, these anti-police advocates that say that you know we shouldn't meet violence with violence, absolutely not. You're a police officer, you have to be ready to meet violence with violence. If that adversary thought that he would have been met with violence, if he thought she was paying attention and she was ready. I'm not saying 100%, but it could have minimized the damage or him having the ability to sneak up in such a manner that he did. Cops are always vulnerable. I could have, John, you could have, something could have happened bad to us, but we did everything we could to minimizing it from happening. We're not impervious to, to being attacked, but we have to do everything we can. We have to. We have to take care of each other. We're human. We're on a post. It happens. You're there all day. You get tired. You use your phone. It happens. But the, one of them has to be paying attention while the other one's on the phone. But we have to put ourselves in a better position, especially now. I believe this is the worst time ever for a cop. I, I, I hear Chief Monaghan talk about the 80s and these other chiefs. I get it. It was a rough time. But this is the worst time ever to be a cop because not only is crime on the rise, but you can't even do your job and you're strapped with a body camera. And none of these phony tough guys like former Chief Terrence Monaghan ever had to wear a body camera because they didn't exhi exhibit leadership. You know what? The chiefs that are on the job right now, your men and women have to wear a body camera. You should put one on too. You should have to wear one just as they do. I'd like to see the NYPD start to exhibit more like the FDNY, but we'll never see that. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, it, honestly, the phones are bad, and that was the whole knock when they went with the phones with all the stuff on the phone. Is that it's, it really takes you out of the game. Like you're sitting there, you're looking at your phone, you're doing your report. You're not, you're not aware of your surroundings anymore. You're in this world. You're in this world. You're not in this world. And this is the world we need to be in when we're on patrol. You know, so I don't. You know, I I. As much as I, I know that that is your your you're required to use your phone in certain circumstances, like Eric said, somebody's got to be aware. I I I agree with you. I think this is the worst time to be a cop. The amount of scrutiny has never been this high. Guys in the eighties and the seventies did not deal with the amount of scrutiny for minor things, for major things, for police incidents. No one has ever dealt with the scrutiny before. And at the same time, we've never had a time when DAs 
are the way they are now and they're not prosecuting anyone. And the only people they're looking to prosecute are police officers, you know, and it's, it's a fucking scary time, you know, and I know me and Eric were like knocking the contract a little bit. I don't, I don't even think we were knocking it. We were just showing the pitfalls of it and what we think was good about it. Um, but I mean, you know, you, you have all these politicians now, you guys are fucking starving. The POs are starving. They're making no money. And all you hear from these politicians is these cops are getting a raise. They shouldn't get a raise. They want you to fucking starve. They don't even want you to be able to live in the street. Like, and and I, I don't really see any big pushback. I don't see any big pushback from the PBA, the SBA, the LBA, the CEA. I don't see big pushback from, you know, Madri either. You know, he said the one thing at that crime town hall in, uh, in Manhattan or whatever. Uh, I've seen Eric Adams. Eric Adams said, oh, you know, we got to be fair saying you guys do deserve a raise because everybody else is going to get one. You know, he didn't he didn't really come to bat saying we got to pay our police officers fair. But he said, oh, yeah, yeah, we got to be fair. You know, we're, we're going to get them paid. Um, but I don't see any I don't, I don't see any leadership coming down. The only leadership, honestly, that I see and the only honest messaging that I see is, is coming from this platform. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of leadership, I want to highlight the lack of just complete betrayal by uh, commanding officer, the two way precinct. His last name is Shepard. For anybody that's watching this, how dare you shame on you for taking Twitter photos and pictures with Alva Bregg saying, thank you for your support. Now, I believe in always being professional and always being respectful to opposition, to your friends, to your foes. Yes. You should always show respect. But that doesn't mean you have to actually respect them. So to the commanding officer, the two-way precinct, is it worth getting stars in your shoulder? That's absolutely an outright lie to say, Alvin Bragg, thank you for your support. Alvin Bragg has already sought out numerous arrests of police officers. I know a sergeant particularly that was arrested for on-duty contact, for making an arrest, and he was targeted by Alvin Bragg and, uh, and arrested and facing potential prosecution for doing his job, what he was paid and trained to do. So absolutely ridiculous for you to stand there and say thank you for your support because you want to move up the ladder and become a chief one day by being a total snake. Well, shame on you. And I hope you're watching this, Shepard. And it's not just social media because if I saw you in person, I would tell you this. And if I, I, we were on the job together, I would still tell you, and I don't care. I would probably get in trouble for that, but I would. Because how dare you do that? It's a slap in the face to every cop right now that's out there. It's a slap in the face to Mora and Rivera that lost their lives doing this job serving Manhattan. How dare you? Think about what you did. And not only that, you're the commanding officer of one of the most prolific precincts in the entire city, the mosque. And it's interesting that you're the, pre you're the commanding officer of that precinct. And the, the stuff that happened in the mosque in the two-way precinct correlates is on parallel with what's happening right now. So wake up and smell the coffee because one day – you're going to have to look at yourself and say, shame on you. You sold out to get promoted when you betrayed and you and you and you turned your back on these cops. I hope they turn their back on you too. One day you're going to be off duty and you're going to get a flat tire. And I hope they drive away and leave you there by yourself. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> the guy with Madri, the retired cop that they he let go and he and he uh and he had the rest voided. I'm pretty sure me and Eric are not going to get a DAT if we get arrested in New York City. Um, I'm pretty sure we're going to be held overnight. So, uh, you know, I hope you guys at least take care of us. Give us some food. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, uh, I tell you right now, if I get college, I'm Jewish. I'm, I'm not religious. 
But I'm playing the card, and I'm going to eat kosher, and they're going to have me on, on Friday night. They're going to be making sure I get out of that freezing. <laughs> oh, me too. I love, you know, I'm, I'm definitely uh, – if I get caught, I'm going to the hospital too. But I've been caught a bunch, so I'm not really worried about spending the night. <laughs> I don't care. Listen, I always said it. If if, yeah. I, if I get if I get caught, I'm going to be the worst prisoner. I'm going to take a shit right in the cell. I tell you right now, you're not going to want to deal with me. So if we get caught together – you know what? It's gonna be a horrible experience. You're gonna want me get you're gonna want to get us out of there as soon as possible. <laughs> and I'm filing complaints on everybody, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and I know the whole system. I'm filing complaints on the guy that I filed a complaint with. Like, so I'm just letting everybody know. You know, uh, we'll be in New York probably in the summer. Uh, we're gonna apply oh, yeah. press passes. We're gonna see if we're allowed to get them so we can attend some uh, meetings, uh, some press conferences. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Um, and we want, you know, we want more of clout with the ability to do foils to get information that we need so we can put it out. So, uh, yeah. So I, I, you got anything else, anything else you got, Eric? No, I think we covered a lot of bases here. I think it's a great episode to everyone out there that's watching. Thank you so much. I appreciate this, the support. And for those that are hating on us, but you're watching anyway, I thank you. I, and I appreciate it. At least you're actually listening to perspective. So I, I respect that. 265 Police Live, New York's finest retirement filter podcast. John, thank you. Good night, everyone. And to that uh, piece of shit lieutenant that's always uh, on his podcast, uh, fashion us, fuck him. <laughs>